0: Hey there, it's Nick Turzo, and this is The Radical Podcast. No, we won't be overthrowing any governments, but we will be learning from radical creatives who rule the world. Hello there, I'm Nick Turzo, and this is The Radical. A gentle reminder, uh, it would mean the world to me, If, as a listener, you rated and reviewed this podcast, um, it's become a very competitive world in the podcasting space, and I really want to keep cranking these shows out. So every rating and every review really helps raise awareness uh, with your podcast provider. Also, I want to encourage you to please subscribe to our social media channels to keep in the loop of any announcements and guest reveals. Um, Those accounts are at The Radical Pod, um, at Instagram and at Facebook. The Radical Pod, um, at Instagram and Facebook. My guest this week is Derek Green, lead singer of the band Sepultura. This band was formed in Brazil in the mid 80s, has gone through a few iterations of band personnel, with Derek holding down the lead singer and a main songwriter role, for over two decades, cementing himself into the band's legacy. We chat about the competitive process to become an established band's lead singer, their new record, Quadra, and the continuing impact of Sepultura to many millions of fans, not only in South America, but worldwide. Up next, my conversation with Sepultura's Derek Green. Hey Derek.
1: Hey, how are you Nick?
0: <laughs> I'm really well. I'm excited to have you on my podcast. So um, I'm really looking forward to our conversation and exceptionally grateful um, that you made time for me.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure. How is uh, 2020 for you? I'm sure it's somewhat similar um, as it is for the rest of us, but um how is your pandemic life uh, turning out?
1: It's, it's been very interesting. You know, it's an incredible time that we live in now. There's uh, so much going on. Um, but for me, it's been, you know, a lot of ups and downs. Uh, and I'm just trying to really deal with it, you know, day by day. There's a lot of things that are out of our control. And that could drive a lot of people crazy. So just try to maintain a focus on day to day stuff and stay very positive um, in the sea of madness that's going on. <laughs> but um, yeah. I, I've been, you know, been doing really well as far as um, keeping myself occupied and staying very busy.
0: Excellent. When did you, um, do you guys have like a, Sepultura has a new record out? Was it earlier this year? When did you record right. that?
1: Well, we recorded everything in 2019 in, in Sweden, in two, two places. Urubru, which is the interior of Sweden, and then uh, Stockholm, where we recorded the drums. Um, we recorded with Jens Bogren, a producer that we had previously uh, used on our, our last album, Machine Messiah. So for this new album, Quadra, we decided to go back to Sweden and record with the ends again, uh, which was incredible, you know, incredible experience. When you have that connection with the producer that really is knowledgeable and very excited about what they do, then um, it makes for a fantastic uh, combination of working with somebody that's uh, very enthusiastic and into what they do, the same as we are with our music. So.
0: Yeah, I hadn't heard of him. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you guys like identify him? I mean, did you hear some work he had done with another band you respected, or how did you come across him?
1: Well, I I, I came across him because there were a lot of bands from Sweden that I really admired the sound quality of, of what was coming out, uh, what I was hearing, um, and he had also worked on some other bands that I really enjoy, Opeth and uh, Creator, and and so I felt that. It would be great if Sepultura had this very clean sound as far as uh, the sound that I felt that he was getting. And it's very modern in a way where um, it's not like any other stuff that I've been hearing. So I felt that since we had radically different productions on other albums, I thought it would be great to have a producer that's bringing something very unique uh, to Sepultura so that happened just by reaching out to him and and having him available was uh, really great for us and um and since then we've just had this really great connection and we're very fortunate to be able to work together with him
0: he's um the record sounds incredible oh, no thank told, you yeah i told pablo i was listening to it um and I said, I felt like I was 17 again. I said, my neighbors <laughs> are probably wondering what was going on in my house. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it does, I mean, the the sonic quality of it's just incredible. Yeah. It's very I, fresh, like you said. It's very, right. yeah, it's definitely very current sounding.
1: Yeah, I, I think this is very important, especially in the world of metal, to try to, to keep evolving. You know, it's very important in music in general to evolve and, and to go further. Um, than you've ever gone before you know that's the whole idea of being in a rock band and being an alternative band is to really push the boundaries you know and try to you know for me and also for the band in general we really like to step outside of our box you know and and really challenge ourselves to to create and write things that are relevant to what's happening now and not to repeat ourselves so this is something that's uh, very important to us, in the whole writing process. But we released that album this year uh, in February. So we had an entire tour plan, a world tour, actually. And touring the U.S., we were planning on hitting the road in mid-March, right when the lockdown was <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, put into place. So that really killed um, that whole process of this new album unfortunately so we've had to um push the shows until 2021 and we're still you know we rescheduled the tour for March in North America but it's really hard to say what's going to happen uh in 2021 i mean it, things are looking very grim in the in the world of live music unfortunately because you don't really hear too much talked about that at all in the media about getting back to, to something happening. So, um, you know, I just really keep my hopes up and, and try to figure out other things I can do in the meantime.
0: What was that, um, Eric, what was that tour like comprised of like this year? If it had gone uh, off, was it festivals with yeah. your own touring and such? We had a tour planned,
1: uh, in, the, in North America with sacred, Reich um Crowbar and this band Art Shock, a younger band. And we were gonna do North America and then hit all the festivals in Europe because we had stayed away from the festivals in 2019 because we wanted to really um focus on recording. So uh we had, you know, been building it up, you know, for two thousand twenty to really hit a lot of the major festivals in Europe and then come back uh, and then come do a lot of shows in South America, then uh, Europe again, like on our own tour, um, and then just everywhere possible—Asia and Australia—and that whole market, and back to the U.S. again. And so you know, we just have to really push that forward and do this because it's really exciting when you have a new album, and it's really important to play those songs live. So it's just bizarre. I've never, you know, in the 20 some years of being in the band, I've never, uh, had so much time off, you know, from playing, you know, every summer, um, we were on tour, you know, for the past 20 years. <laughs> so it's, it's really a, a big shift in uh, life lifestyle.
0: Yeah. And what's curious for you guys is it's almost like, You'll have to relearn these songs again. Right, exactly. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> totally. I was just gonna say that, you know, it's like not the practice and practice again because we were practicing so much up until, you know, we were getting ready to go on tour. And it's been, you know, almost a year since we played these songs. You know, so it's it will definitely be some serious practicing going on and getting acquainted um with everything.
0: How does that work normally anyway, since you guys are kind of a little bit Well, I mean, maybe you are the only one, you know, a little bit out of different geographic zones. How do you guys get together when you get together? You just go to Brazil?
1: Yeah, I I go to Brazil and and spend some weeks there before anything that we have to do. And, uh, you know, to get warmed up before we go on on tours. So that usually isn't a problem.
0: And the writing process is easy enough Uh, nowadays to do, right? Without being
1: together? I mean that was something that was new for this album uh i I, since i was in la i was receiving a lot of the music uh here um basing or actually guitar and drums and then coming up with ideas but normally we would be in the studio every day or the practice space every day just coming up with ideas uh all together as a group but it was interesting this time, you know, it was really, I got to walk around with these songs, you know, and, and really feel them out and get very comfortable with it. And, and just really, I have time to work it as far as um, coming up with like things I felt very comfortable with. And, and then going back to everybody and say, hey, these are the ideas that I had. And a lot of it matched up with the ideas of like where Andreas was thinking, yeah, maybe chorus or verse, you know, was really without even speaking to him, Um, It was just really a lot of things just matching up, um, which is really cool, you know, because of so many years of playing together and writing music together, I think we have a better bond and connection of what direction that we're going when we are in that writing phase. So I think it worked out tremendously well. um, Having that separation in a way, you know, where we get to individually do our thing and then come join as a group, you know, kind of like Voltron.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you've, you've had a lot of Voltron during your uh, 23 years with, this, with the band. Um, you know, and I'm kind of curious about that, you know, how you, I mean, as the current iteration of the band, how long has that been kind of intact now? So you guys are really in a groove together.
1: Well, now we've been in this formation uh, for the past uh, three albums. So this has been the longest that we've as far as with this before uh, Igor left, um, this has been you know the tightest formation, and the long the longest that's been running. So with Jean De la Bella, we did two albums, and, and so with Aloy now this is the third. And you know, it feels fantastic, you know we're doing I, I think we've definitely evolved in so many ways, having Aloy in the band. Um, he brought like a, a whole different energy and light to the band. And, um, so we're going through, you know, a whole different phase. I, I believe with Sepultura where we're really at the top of our game.
0: That's fantastic. After all these years, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> it's, I mean, and for you, look, I mean, it's, and I've had some firsthand experience, you know, I was kind of involved with Alice and Chain's career, um you know, when you have to do kind of a singer replacement, it's yeah. you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tough, tough, emotionally tough. It's tough on every level. So it's interesting that you have been able to kind of fit in and remain and really define, um, you know, kind of, you own it now. Um, but it's, it had to be a very interesting start.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, definitely. There's still, you know, it's, it never really ends as far as, uh, you know, fighting and, and, and struggling, you know, uh, within a band and keeping it alive. You know, it's a lot of work and um, it's a lot of determination. You have to have very thick skin to really uh, keep going. And and I have to say, you know, in this heavy metal action, fans are very loyal to things that they hear, you know, initially and what they get accustomed to. And, and it's hard for them to to break away from that idea, um, but we've been able to to fight through a lot of the challenges, and this has actually helped build our character and, and made us stronger in so many ways.
0: It's awesome, and I, I assume your your Portuguese has gotten much better over the last uh, <laughs> couple was, decades. <laughs> it definitely it was uh, very good, and then
1: it was good. It was I wouldn't say very good, but it was good and I, I can definitely understand uh, a majority of things uh, all the time. I had, I learned a lot of slang, uh, which helped in a way uh, where people felt that I was really from Sao Paulo until they got into a deep conversation or like, okay, now I hear you are not from here. <laughs> and uh, but, <laughs> but I, I, love languages. So it was something for me to adapt. Uh, another language is something that I, I always love to do. And, um, Being away now and living here in LA, I I lost a lot of ability to uh, speak. But I can, you know, it's great once I'm back there, I can really jump right back in and everything's great. But it was needed, you know, because I was living alone a lot of times when I was there. And the other guys had their own lives going on, their families and everything. But I had to really uh, discover a lot of things for myself, which was. Okay, you know i I really in my mind, I've always realized that I would probably live somewhere outside the u s and and for me, learning a lo- another language is a necessity and, and a pr- a privilege and a pleasure so um it really has helped in so many ways um, understanding a lot of Spanish as well because there's a lot of similarities and they're both yes. Latin languages, understanding a lot of Italian as well and Uh, so it's, you know, it's great when you're able to open your mind to something like that.
0: Now I find like you fascinating because I think you're really like a citizen of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, you have this really interesting background and you've spent so much time abroad internationally. You were, you were born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. I was born and raised there, uh, in a suburb called Shaker Heights.
0: I know that. And are your family, are they still alive? Are they still there?
1: Um, my parents have both passed away, but my siblings, my Sorry? brothers, huh, thanks. And my siblings, they are alive and well, and they're living, uh, both older than I am, and they live in Seattle
0: and in New York. And how did that, I um, you know, find it interesting. I mean, you were kind of involved early in the thrash scene there, weren't you, as like a teenager, like in the 80s or so? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I, I really got introduced to going to shows at the age of 14, 15, when I started uh, witnessing what was actually happening in this underground scene that was going on in Cleveland. There were a lot of bands coming through that were on tour. And you always have to pass through the Midwest, and Cleveland is such a great location for bands to, uh, who are on tour. to. They're always going to make a stop off in Cleveland. Um, so I got to see a lot of different shows and what I really enjoyed about the scene, that underground hardcore punk scene was that the diversity of people that were coming to shows, you know, from different suburbs or different, uh, areas of Cleveland, uh, all uniting, all freaks (laughs) united, you know, in a way, because, you know, people were considering that style of music and people seeing those shows, freaks. You know, it got made fun of a lot. It was the 80s, you know, it was Ronald Reagan mm-hmm. times, you know, very conservative times. You know, people were really into gap and and consumption and, you know, the a whole new world order, you know, like this open market, the trickle down economics and a lot of cocaine and, and just like a lot of like consumption, you know, and so it was completely rebellious at that time you know and hip-hop coming into form as well in the early 80s and you know it was a combination of all these incredible things happening um so it was a great time to go to shows and that's what i did all the time And, and that's how i got involved in starting a band or being in a band uh with friends uh my first band called outface and everyone being very close friends and skateboarding and having that connection and Um, And actually not drinking. I mean, for me, that was like a whole thing of there were so many people really experimenting uh, with drugs and and drinking and partying and everything. But that wasn't really my scene. Um, My parents didn't drink. Uh, They didn't swear. You know, they met in church. Um, They were religious, but weren't entirely super strict. But, um, you know, it was commendable because they weren't hypocrites and what they were preaching or saying, Um, as far as, uh, you know, was something that I looked at with many other parents that I, friends' parents, and I saw the anger and despair from uh, alcoholism and abuse. So I felt very fortunate to have, you know, great representatives, you know, my parents, you know, where it was just like, okay, I I could follow this. And, uh, and feel comfortable with it, so it was great, you know, being part of that scene and and, and, and learning so much uh, different styles of music and different people coming from different cultures and um that love just you know continued onward, you know it was like I really loved the idea of working for myself, you know with the band and, and not working for anybody else and I just wanted to continue that after high school, you know as far as pursuing that career of touring and, and going on the road, and it really, you know, was something that I wanted to stay focused on.
0: So, with your parents being so grounded like that, I mean, did that concern them? I mean, especially somewhat your genre of music, and our son's going to take off and head into right. the world with this crazy music. I <laughs> well, mean, how did they respond to that?
1: Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, they were definitely coming from radically different backgrounds. My, my father grew up in the South, and my mother grew up in the North. So it was really divided that way because my father grew up um, where it was segregated. You know, segregation was still happening, and my mother and and my father grew up on a farm. You know, with a lot of um, brothers and sisters, like nine. And my mother was coming from the north, and she, you know, graduated uh, from university and um, had one brother. You know, and it was. Com- Radically different backgrounds, but they were able to connect on the level of religion, you know, sharing that in common. Um, but one thing that was fundamental is that my mother was a music teacher. So she had that understanding that I, I really had this love of music, whether she liked the style or not. Um, and another thing that was great was the fact that we were rehearsing at, our, at my house in my basement. So my parents really knew where I was. Um, And who I was hanging out with, you know, consistently. So um, that was something that was very positive and and, and productive in a way, even though uh, she didn't really understand or my father didn't understand the style of music. But they were happy to see me um, pursuing something and and with conviction, you know, and and feeling uh, very proud of that.
0: Yeah, do they have to wear earplugs then? If you guys were yeah. down there making this type of <laughs> absolutely. noise,
1: <laughs> absolutely earplugs and you know set times, you know where they weren't there or no, I'm just, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, out, or outside doing like yard work or something. So,
0: so what gets you out of Cleveland? You decide to go to New York City. I mean, what did uh, what drove you kind of into
1: the world? Well, what what happened was that we had been pursuing all the promoters and giving them demo tapes and wanting to open up for all the major bands that were coming through. And we had done that for so many years where we were well-recognized in Cleveland at that time. And uh, we had done everything that we could possibly do in that market. So my guitarist and I, uh, Charlie Garriga, we decided that we wanted to move to New York because we had so many friends that we made um, from when they were passing through from other bands, friends that we had made from artists that had passed through Cleveland or opening up for certain bands. And they were all, a lot of them were from New York. So we decided to, that we would assemble the band and, and move to New York because the other two guys didn't want to go. They wanted to stay in Cleveland. And so Charlie and I moved to New York and we felt that we could find other musicians to jam with and start a, a whole new band. That's what we did. How long, how long were you kind of in New York? Okay. So we moved around early 90s and uh, we, we ended up finding other musicians to jam with. And that didn't last too long because my guitarist, and the drummer that we have, my guitarist friend, Charlie, who I moved with, with um, to New York, he decided to join another band um, along with the drummer that we were jamming with. So, they started a band which was called Civ. And, um, and so, I ended up having to find uh, other musicians to play with. And I had decided, like, hey, I, I need to pick up a guitar because the only way this is going to get done writing music is if I do it myself. So, that was like a very difficult pursuit to do, you know, a lot of it by myself, buying a four track and, and just really staying focused with. Uh, wanting to make something happen and finding a whole new band is really uh, a lot of work, you know. It's great, really, you know, there to is. really find somebody, you know, people who are feeling the same way that you are. And it, was, it was difficult, you know, because I I was used to being around people that I was friends with, you know, and then joining and then having a band. Um, so um, I was just really working hard to do that and, and stay um very aware of uh, of people that might have the same vision.
0: And did were you trying, you know, was the goal um, to play the label game and get a record contract or is that really not, wasn't that
1: uh, valued? No, it was definitely valued then. You know, that was still like how a lot of bands uh, were able to, to continue was having a label. Um, I think, you know, for us, it was, the goal was really to play out as much as possible, play as many shows. So I started this band called Alpha Jerk, and we were able to do a lot of shows in the area of New York. Not a, a lot, but as as much as we could, um, which was very difficult. And but we just stayed around the scene, you know, talking to our friends and opening up for our, our certain friends of ours and. Um, it was difficult, you know, it was like no money involved whatsoever and uh, just really producing as much as we could. So I somehow connected with the person uh from like the hardcore scene. I, I believe it was from either Florida or Chicago, um, and he decided that he would be able to put out Alpha Jerk. And so we did put that out like an E P and um you know, on this independent label. And then um and then I got a I got a message from an A and R person from Roadrunner Records. His name was Mike Gitter. Yeah, and Mike. Had, and so Mike had just started working at Roadrunner Records. And he came to me because he had heard Outface, my previous band from Cleveland. He had heard Uh, alpha jerk the new band i was doing so he kind of knew my background and he suggested that i try out for sepultura because their singer had left and so i had no idea that um the singer had left i wasn't a huge fan of sepultura i was a fan of the music but i wasn't fanatical um i didn't know you know the, the members of the band or anything like that but i actually had a few uh albums. I had a rise and chaos A D, which I enjoyed very much. And um so he suggested that I try out. Um they had one song going around uh with no vocals on it and whoever wanted to try out would have to put down, lay down vocal tracks and lyrics um to that instrumental song that they had. So that's what I did, you know, I, I It's decided like, why not, you know, why not try this out and send them what I had done previously, which is radically different from them. There's some melodic stuff and uh, not as much screaming as uh, they were accustomed to. But I was like, you know, I really would just want to show myself. So uh, I did the demo and I sent them what I had uh, my previous work and waited to hear back from them. And uh, how long did that (laughs) that take? (laughs) Um, Actually, it was like about a month later, I, I heard back from them, um, Just I was getting ready to go to work, I was working security at this bar across the street from where I live, and uh, I got a call from them and saying like they wanted me to come down to Brazil to meet and to do an audition, and so a week later, I was flying down to Brazil to, to meet those guys, and do this audition. I, I had never been to South America. I, I didn't know anybody from there. Um, I would never heard Portuguese spoken. I, I probably heard it, but never knew that it was Portuguese. Right. And, um, <laughs> and so I, I, I didn't know anything. You know, I, I had to. Go, I went to the library to get out a few books about Brazil because there was no internet at the time. So I had my library card and went off. You know, it was that long ago. <laughs> you know, and, and so uh, I. Flew down to Brazil and and met the guys, and for two weeks, that was the entire trip. Um, So the first week, I met everybody and their family, you know, and so it was really um, amazing how open everyone was and how friendly everyone was, and I got to meet everyone and do a lot of, went to a lot of different events that they took me to, like football games and to the beach and to... um, certain shows and it was it was incredible you know I, I really had this connection immediately um, from being there over a week and then the next week we decided to go in the studio and, and they started jamming you know these new ideas that they have and, and that was really nerve-wracking because I got to feel you know the music in front of me and the the entire power of that band you know it's like wow this is (laughs) really intense you know i was like what am i getting into like oh my god you know like you know it's like oh my god you know these guys are incredible and so you know they would play these new songs and they're like okay now you make up something you know on the spot immediately so that was a little bit weird for the first few days, and the rehearsals were really bad. I have to say for me, I was just not feeling uh, comfortable, and so I, I came back like there was like a weekend or something. So I came back after the weekend, speaking with Paulo, the bass player, and he was just like, "Man, you just gotta really let go. This is your your chance. You know, don't hold back. Uh, just let it out. You know." And so we came back to the studio, and we just started to um, to jam a, a song, a cover song. We were like, "Oh, let's do a cover of Bad Brains." You guys like Bad Brains are like, "Yeah, they, they were really into it." So we did this Bad Brains song, and then after that, just things started to really flow as far as uh, me opening up and becoming a lot more comfortable with um, jamming together with them. And so then I came back to New York after that, my time there. And about a month later, I got a call from them asking me if I wanted to come back to Brazil and to start working on a new album.
0: Nice, you did it.
1: Yeah, I did. But was I, that I a not-
0: hard decision? Yeah. Is that a no? Was that a no-brainer for you, or did you have to put some thought into that? Like, this is pretty I, I foreign definitely- for me. I mean, I,
1: I really didn't have to put too much thought into it because it was something I've been working towards my whole life. As far as wanting to play with people who are very professional and having that chance to play on a, a large um, stage and in, in front of a lot of people, and um, you know, what was the most difficult thing was that I was in a relationship for three to four years, and and that came to an end, um, not by me, but by ix and and that was really difficult you know because we had been struggling uh for a little bit but i mean it was just like okay this is a great opportunity and i felt that you know we're going to embrace it together but unfortunately she didn't feel the same way so um that ended and and it was right at the time of joining so i I was really free to do whatever i I wanted to do so I, i i left new york um we did a promotional tour of the world and while we were in amsterdam uh i, I really fell in love with that that country that city um, the netherlands and so i had an opportunity to to live there and so i lived there for two years in amsterdam um we were touring in europe a lot and so after the tour i would come straight to amsterdam Uh, after. And so we we toured for almost two years, like a touring cycle. And then we started to think about writing the new album. And that's when I decided to move to Brazil uh, to be closer during that whole writing process, which was really important to me because the first album that I did with Sepultura, they had a lot of the songs written already. Um, So I wanted to be a part of that Writing process, you know, at the very beginning, they wanted me to be a part of it as well. So, I moved to Brazil, uh, two thousand, I believe it was, and and I lived in Sao Paulo uh, for over twenty years.
0: Our, our most—that's incredible. I've never been still, and it's been so high on my bucket list that I just <laughs> never. I can never, never get the stamina for the, whatever, 11 hour flight or whatever it is to get there.
1: But I mean, it's, it's, I mean, they have straight flights, you know, from like LA to Sao Paulo now. And and those are, you know, I I got so used to it that it really, that's, you know, nothing, you know, once you're Mm -hmm. there, it's just the most magical place, you know, incredible people. And, um, they really do like foreigners there and they really take care of you and, um, it's one of the friendliest countries I've ever been to. You know, honestly, it's like genuine friendliness. So, um, you know, I really miss it when I'm not there. I, I truly, it truly has become a home to me. You know, it's like the culture, the people. You know, I feel that I'm, you know, part Brazilian from being there for so long and and having such a love for for everything. You know, so many things. That come out of brazil and, and that are in brazil so um became like a big almost a big responsibility to be a representative you know of brazil because that you know that's how a lot of people see the ban you know like people are very um protective of brazilian culture and and uh, they're very proud of the history of Sepultura. so i really try to maintain that um Degree of respect, you know, for the history and for everything that we do in the future.
0: Right, and do they? Um, and for my people, folks listening, um, you know, they may not be Sepultura fans. I mm-hmm. mean, the size of this band globally. I mean, what yeah. are the like the impact on a global basis, not just being a South right. American band? That's I mean, a good what question. Are, like, what are the like larger markets that are? I think people be fascinated by.
1: Well, that was something that I had no idea about. So you know without the internet at that time you know i when i joined the band i didn't realize how massive the band was in the underground scene but just globally you know like it, it was the places that we were going to play uh, the opportunities that we had to play uh certain countries it was much more than other bands and i started to realize that as time went on um for some reason and i think some of the many reasons actually Uh, were the fact that the band was coming from South America, um, you know, with with the struggle of fighting to get out of South America. um, A lot of people could relate to that uh, in in places that were, let's say, third world countries. They could relate to a lot of things that were being talked about lyrically, lyrically, um, where the band was coming from. And so that opened the door for us to play a lot of eclectic places. Um, that normally don't have shows, but they have people that are really into heavy music. So we're able to go to places like Cuba, for example. We played a show. Um, we were one of the first metal bands to ever play in Cuba. Um, but there's that connection that the Cuban government have with Brazilian government, which is pretty good. And so we were able to do a show there, um, which was mind blowing and the dream come true. And we did the show for free and. Um, we weren't expecting to get paid anything. We just wanted to pay for the crew and for the flights, um, but they took care of the rest and we even left equipment there, you know, after the show, uh, because they had a lot of stuff. They just couldn't get there. So I, I heard years later from bands that have played there, like, Oh my God, we use your bass head or your guitar. head." <laughs>
0: <The> Stones
1: used <laughs> some of your equipment <laughs> when they went. <laughs> right. You know, I was like, possibly. <laughs> I think they had a, a better deal of going there. But, um, <laughs> I mean, Cuba was one of the places that we played that i never imagined playing. Um, we played Mongolia last year, uh, uh, Kyrgyzstan, uh, Kazakhstan, you know, places like that that a lot of bands don't really get to venture to. But we were able to go there and um, we were able to do, a, you know, 16 shows in Russia, you know, in Siberia, you know, all the way to... The east coast of of russia so the opportunity for us to do these very unique shows and unbelievable places has been such a experience uh for us and i and, the, and that was the realization like wow this music is really touching a lot of people you know more so than i could possibly imagine south africa was uh you know a place that we got to play in the band was offered to play there during apartheid and they never went, you know, thank God, like most artists weren't. Um, so, you know, it's fascinating to see ba- people um, who were waiting for so many years that know the whole history of your band. You know, there were people who were collecting albums in the eighties of Simple Tour up until, you know, now. And of course, you know, with metalheads and people into rock and heavy music, they have this, this love that's, you know, starts at a very young age and continues onward. And, and a lot of these places, they had the same love, you know, you, we went to India and there were people, you know, like Iron Maiden shirts, you know, it's just like metahoods are primarily the same everywhere around the world, you know, so it was really um, interesting to see that and, you know, and, and the love, the same love that they have, you know, in the States or, or in Europe, you know, it, it exists all in these exotic
0: and wonderful places. Yeah, that's inc- what incredible reach. It's, uh, Absolutely. I think it's fascinating because I think a lot of people listening to this are going to probably say they've never heard a Sepultura song. And then the global reach is so oh, yeah. wide. I mean, I mean we've been over
1: 70 different countries. You know? So it's it's really, you know, we're definitely up there in the list and we're still more to go to. So, the possibilities are open and, and music has no boundaries, you know, it really has, yep. no, you know, it breaks through, you know, religion and politics and all those things, you know, it really wipes that away and, it, and it's very pure and, and very honest. And I think that's what attracts so many different people from around the world to it, no matter what style of music that you're playing, you know, it's like music has that power.
0: Indeed it does. Um, and you have, um, Certainly other interests. I'm kind of curious how they okay. maybe um, come together with, like, your creativity and such. So, I mean, I know you're uh, practicing vegan. Is that mm-hmm. a thing? A practicing vegan? makes it sound so... Makes like, it sound religious. What is I that? Know. I don't <laughs> even
1: like to use the word vegan. I mean, I, I definitely prefer plant-based like lifestyle. There you go. Yeah. Much better. Yes, I yeah. like that much better.
0: Yeah, vegans so-
1: scare people, and you know <laughs> there were so many radical people involved in the whole type of movement that I think got people terrified. Um, but I definitely did not have that approach. I haven't eaten uh, meat of any type uh, for over thirty-five years. Um, so, I got a lot of questions from traveling, and it's very difficult to travel and be on the road as a musician, playing different places and maintaining that lifestyle. So I got a lot of questions from many people just because of them observing me, not me preaching to them, but just people like very curious about how I'm able to maintain myself. you know they're like, "How are you getting protein? How are you staying fit and um and so then. I just ended up thinking, like, why isn't there a TV show, a travel show? I see all these travel shows about food, and there's always like the most uh, outrageous food, you know, like the most exotic yes. animals that they're killing, you know, in order to eat like some overpriced meal that I'll never want to pay for and, and what most people can't afford. And so uh, I felt that, you know, there was definitely something missing in that market. And I, I, I wanted to produce a show showing um you know that lifestyle plant-based lifestyle and and how it's possible and how it's growing in, in such a phenomenal way um and i wanted to break a lot of the stereotypes surrounding that whole idea of it and really bring truth and without forcing it down people's throats and having fun with it so i combined i teamed up with a another touring musician who felt had the same ideas, and her name is Tanya O'Callahan, and she's the co host of the show that we started called Highway to Help. And, and so, where do people see that?
0: Is it, is it already out, or you guys are just producing them? Well, I'm going to tell you, Nick.
1: Tell me, tell me. <laughs> um, we are at, right now, we're in the process where we have eight episodes filmed already before the pandemic hit, and we're in the process of getting those sold. We're combining with the a group um the company that's going to help in selling this to a network so very soon we're trying to get this out there by fall we're not sure which network that we're going to go with um but very soon we're, we're we're literally like in that process now um of of, of searching What's the networks.
0: title of it again? That's awesome.
1: Highway to Health. Well, geez. yeah. So we're, great title. <laughs> okay. and, and we're on, you know, social media so people can see the trailer there, Highway to okay. out, uh on YouTube and on Instagram. And we, you know, the first, we have, uh, you know, we were able to go to places showing our, you know, where we came from. So we we're able to go to um, my, my hometown in, in Cleveland. We we're able to go to Tang's hometown in Mullingar in Ireland um, to show our background and how we got involved. And then we were able to go to some really crazy places, you know, uh, as far as like, we went to Mexico and we um, we were filming Sea Shepherd, an organization that's out to protect the oceans and and wildlife. Um, We were able to go on a cruise with Kiss, the Kiss cruise that Tanya was playing on, because Tanya actually plays with Steven Adler, the ex-drummer from Guns N' Roses. And so she... Was performing on this Kiss cruise that was out in the Caribbean, so we went on that. Um, we were able to film. Were the- you cutting oh.
0: nets there on the Kiss cruise? I mean, we over. <laughs>
1: cutting nets on the Kiss cruise. We were at, we went on a missions cutting nets for Sea Shepherd, but in Kiss cruise we were uh, rocking out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, it, but it that was a, a good title. Oh yeah, definitely. But it's a lot of adventure, a lot of a lot of fun, and you'll see that. You know, not all the guests are are vegan on the show because the idea is to really reach out to people who aren't plant based. You know, really to get them uh, interested in what's going on and the movements that's going on and how easy it is to really transform maybe one day or two days in a week where you're not consuming an animal. So um, it's it's really you know. It's, what's-
0: I don't mean to interrupt, but no, no, like, what really, what has sparked like your environmental activism in your life? Like, what, what really teed that up for you?
1: I guess the fact that there were a few things. You know, one thing it was like, where am I putting my money? You know, a lot of times people don't think about what are they buying and what are they supporting. You know, so there are certain companies that I really despise, and those companies are companies that aren't transparent with what they're producing. So why would you want to give your money to a company that's not being transparent or honest with you and they're hiding something? A lot of these companies that are producing meat and all these things are consistently spending a lot of money to hide the fact of the product that they're making. This is something that I don't want to put my money towards and want to be involved in. So it's obviously bad if they're doing that and they're spending so much money in doing that because people knew the truth and they wouldn't buy that product um that's a main reason another one was the fact that it was unnecessary there were a lot of things i was buying consuming that i honestly don't need it was really kind of something that went from a cycle you know something that you see over and over again like being advertised to you you know like this propaganda is extremely powerful and a lot of times like why am i getting this and it's like you don't even a lot of times people don't even know why you know, it's a time of where people don't have explanations for the actions that they're doing. You know, you ask people, like, why are you left? Why are you right? You know, and a lot of times, why are you with this topic? Why do you believe in this person? It's like, they don't even know. <laughs> and I had to question myself. I was like, I don't know why. You know, it was really ridiculous when I was thinking, like, all oh, this time, like, I, need, I thought I needed meat for, for muscles or protein you know, people like, how are you getting your protein? I was like, well, how much protein do you need in a day? Do you, can you regulate that, you know, while eating meat? And most of the time people have no clue, you know? So that was another reason on the fact that I love animals, you know, like I, I truly love them. And I, I, I just didn't want to be super hypocritical. It's like, I love them. Why am I eating them? You know, and I never, the relationship between a dog and a pig, you know, it's like, they're both animals. And for me, I could see them. as. Equal the same, so I'm not going to eat a dog and and i I felt the same like I didn't want to eat a pig because I don't need to you know and, and I live in a city where there's a lot of options that are out there, and once I started to discover all the different options and the lifestyle that exists surrounding that, um I stopped using leather and those products because those companies again are just not at your best interest they're not at anybody's best interest, and they're actually the biggest destroyers of the world itself. So, that was another thing the pollution surrounding those companies that they're doing, and the fact that they just don't give a damn about this planet, about us, and why, you know, I was just like, oh, you know, it's aggravated with that. So, I, you know, these, you know, there's like a list of many things, and health wise, too. I looked at people, what they're eating, a lot of diseases and things that are happening now are due to the fact of what people are eating. You know, the processed food, you know, you look at America, It's and I've lived outside of America, so I can really take a good look at it, you know, 20 years of being outside and see the radical changes that have happened as far as a result of people's diet. You know, a lot of problems that exist as far as heart disease, diabetes, overweight, you know, and it's growing so rapidly here where you have over 50% of Americans that are overweight and unhealthy, and a lot of them now are dying badly here because of Corona, because of these pre-existing conditions. So this is all related to what we're eating, what we're putting in our body, where we're putting our money, you know? So the list goes on, you know, it's just like, you know, I just decided that I really needed this change and it's done wonders for me. Um, uh, and on so many levels.
0: Well, I have enormous respect for you because I, I sense you're a man of action and not just words. And, you know, I think that's really meaningful right now. absolutely, you know, know, I think by example is the best
1: way to, to, to make a point, you know, like I, I have felt that the whole like bashing people and being very in their face, you know, is not a good approach. Like I would turn me off and turn me away from anything, but I truly admire people where I see them, you know, what they're talking about, putting those words into action.
0: Well, let's, um, I know you have to go. I'm going to wrap this up. Um, one last question though. I just want to see, is there anything great you're listening to right now? And we'll wrap up on that. So. Oh
1: man. I don't know if you've ever heard of, uh, this band called the fucking champs.
0: No, (laughs) no, I haven't. (laughs) Well, I
1: mean, it's actually not a new band. They've been around for a while, but they have a few albums, but it's a band that, uh, pretty inspirational there it's a lot of it's instrumental and they don't even have bass it's two guitars and drums (laughs) and and, and it's really just i love riffs and i love like math style rock so this is one band that i always try to turn people on and it was inspirational i think for a part of this new sepultura phase that we're going through i think it had an inspiration on andreas our guitarist but it's a great band, you know, I think they're underrated, but... The
0: fucking, I will find them. I it's will a find great band,
1: you know, you can't, the fucking champ at all. <laughs> you right won't there. forget it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, thank you for doing the show. Everyone that's listening, Quadra is the new record. It's amazing. It's built in a few different sections and it sounds remarkable. So please go and stream this and hopefully next year, you'll be able to see the band live. Um, Derek, thanks for all you do. And um, I hope I can have you back sometime because I think there's a lot more to cover. Awesome,
1: Nick. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yes, sir. Stay healthy. All right. You too, man. All right. See you there. Well, that's our show this week. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe even learned a little something. To follow What's Going On with this podcast, you can go to the Radical Pod. Dot com um, The radicalpod.com. You'll find show notes and past episodes and uh, even a little swag there if you want a t-shirt or a hat. Also, I would be honored if you'd subscribe at Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Till next week.